Hey, one more thing before you go. What would you do if a psychic tells you that your best friend since childhood who had committed suicide years ago has a message for you? Do you run? Does it change your life? Does it relieve you of the guilt that you felt for not doing more to stop you? What's it like to have a dream that foretold the future? We're going to find that out when we talk to Leah McIntosh. She experienced all of that and more. Leah will have you believing in messages from the other side energy vampires in understanding the art of self-forgiveness and teach you how to recognize the signs that somebody might be on the same path. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About My Best Friend Reached Out From the Other Side. My guest in this episode is Leah McIntosh. She's a travel enthusiast, a master NLP practitioner, and a success coach. She's focusing on helping others find their freedom through practicing self-forgiveness. Leah's journey to self-forgiveness was hard fought, and she learned that there was not one-size-fits-all approach to healing and transformation. She displays this weekly on her podcast, It Might Be You. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear your story and your journey and to kind of share that with uh, our, the world, our audience. So I kind of kind of get to like to, to know you a little bit more. And, and um, so let's start from the beginning. Where'd you grow up? So I am originally from Topeka, Kansas, of all places. I'm the oldest of five kiddos. Uh, so my family likes to call me Sergeant Carter. <laughs> and when I was in my 20s, I moved to where I currently reside. Uh, with my husband, and that's in Richmond, Virginia. In between all that, of course, I did. I went to college. Yeah. It, well, what was your family like? I mean, that, that's that's a big family, actually. So you know, my family was. I say my both my parents were in fields of service. So my father was a firefighter, and oh, my mother was a social worker. Pretty yeah, cool. still he's he's retired now. And what I found is that that was such a big like belief system or pillar in our family. So most of us kids are in professions where we serve others. My father, my, um, my brother is a police officer. I went into the human services field and now coaching and my other brothers, one of them is still young. So he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do. <laughs> and that's okay so, too. Yeah. yeah. We have some things in common. I'm a retired police sergeant. You now I reside in the Phoenix, Arizona area where it's nice and warm. Lucky you. And not, not all the crazy, we have all, all seasons of weather. So This, I mean, we still get monsoons down here and that kind of a thing. But coming from Colorado, this is where I, where I grew up, Colorado, and living oh. at about 8,500 feet, it was a shock to our system when we moved from there of a highs of 70, 75 and snow in May of 30 inches to 120 degrees when we first moved down here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, my wife about strangled me. <laughs> yeah, we parked the moving truck out front, and uh, we went in and said, let's just rest. We'll unload it tomorrow, and went out and uh, about midday because we were tired of the long drive, and everything was melted in the car. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty crazy. So um, did you go to university? I did. I um, Originally, I went for nursing and um, did that for a while. And um, I act like it was like this long drawn out thing. But when I was about 22, I got hurt. Um, 
working, I was working labor and delivery at the time, but I got hurt on a different floor because at that point, if there wasn't birthing mothers, they sent you elsewhere. At that point, I just realized this can't be all there is. I don't want to do this. Um, So I kind of switched lanes and decided to find other avenues of, you know, career choices. And so I ended up working with um, the differently abled community. And that's where, where I've been for the rest, like since I was 22. So, that's yeah. Pretty, I remember what, can you help me understand what differently abled is? People that have, um, so, not social, but uh, they, it could be handicaps, but most of it is usually intellectual disabilities. Um, so what I, I really do now too, is that uh, one of the hats I wear is I have two differently abled gentlemen that actually live in my home with me. So they're, I'm considered, they call me a sponsored residential provider. Um, Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's really brings a lot of joy. And there's, I said, my house just has an overabundance of, of laughter because the two, the two guys are just filled with just joy. So it's, it's an amazing, amazing job to have. That's a positive thing. I know that you had a, you, uh, you've had kind of a, tough go of it up to that point because you lost somebody in high school that was a friend of yours. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, he was my best friend. I had met him when we were 10 years old. Well, I was 10 and he was 12. And I did not like him initially because <laughs> I thought he was bad. And I was somebody, I was homeschooled all the way through until um, I graduated, actually. So I say I was the guinea pig in my family. But um, because of that, I was really sheltered. And I had these this specific belief system about how kids should act out in public just based off of being with adults 24-7. He didn't act that way. But we reconnected um, later on. And of course, he had matured. Uh, he was somebody that was very, very close to me. If you've seen him, you knew I wasn't too far behind and vice versa. So dealing with his death was very hard for me. He committed suicide two weeks after his best friend was murdered. Wow. Was that, I mean, were there signs that expected at any time? Um, no. Like his best friend um, at the time oh, had started kind of running with the wrong crowd. And he was a friend of mine, mine too, but we weren't as close as me. And my best friend's name was Tyson. Uh, we weren't as close as me and Tyson. And um, two weeks before this other individual, this other guy died, um, this is where my, I guess, I don't even know if I want to call it ESP, but I had a dream that um, his friend was going to die in his car. And I just kind of dismissed it. Like, that, that your oh, best friend's like, friend was going to die. Yeah. You know, I dismissed it. Um, I did share it with, with them. Uh, and they were like, don't dream about me anymore. You know, I don't I don't want you to have a dream about me. Um, and I was like, I can't help it. I was just, you know, it's not true. It's not going to happen. Well, lo and behold, two weeks later, um, Ontario was murdered and he died in his car. And I struggled with that. You know, for one, did I just like I literally dreamed this guy dying. That really disturbed me. Um, and being 16 and trying to process that process, that was a hard thing too. And then Tyson just 
couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. Oh, go ahead. If I can interrupt you just for a moment, please. So the 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 accident in the car, the guy, the the other individual that passed. Yeah. That was due to the accident in the car. Yeah. Somebody. I, he was shot. Actually, they were shooting at him. He was driving down the street at like midnight with another friend in the car, and he ended up, of course, he got hit and ended up driving off the road into like this little fielded area. Right. And um, he passed away. And with Tyson, it was, he kind of shut down for those, you know, couple weeks. And I felt um, guilty because I was like, well, what can I say? I don't know what it feels like to, to lose my best friend. Um, and sorry, is just not gonna cut it. You know, it's like how many times has he heard that from me and other people? I mean, this may sound like a really strange question, but I've discussed it with somebody else on another podcast. Did they hold, did he hold any animosity towards you for the fact that you dreamed it and, and something happened? No, no, I never got that from him at all. Um, he never really said that. It was kind of like a joke thing, like, oh, girl, you're, you know, you're crazy. That's That's such a crazy dream to have, especially the way that I explained it to them which was, and I'll, I'll never forget the dream. Now, of course, my dad came to me and said, hey, you know, Leah, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your your friend uh, passed away in his car and it sunk in quicksand. Wow. And so to determine, I, for me, the way that I interpreted it now as an adult is I looked at it as he was living too fast. He got caught up and before he knew it, his life, you know, was just gone. It sunk in quicksand. And so I heard through other friends that uh, Tyson was going around kind of telling people, hey, I just want to end it. You know, I don't want to be here anymore. He never said these things to me, though. So it really disturbed me, you know, like, well, why didn't he come? Why didn't he tell me? Why? Why did he keep that for me that he was feeling that low? And so I held on to a lot of guilt a lot because I felt like I didn't show up as a friend and that he didn't feel comfortable saying these things to me. He was saying it to other people. And I don't know if he was saying that to them because he knew they wouldn't take him serious and wouldn't talk him out of it. But you see, think he I was knew, reaching out for help. I think he was, but he was reaching out to the wrong people um, because he had, he had a history of suicidal idolation. I knew that. Not a lot of people did. And so if he would have said something to me, I would have called the people on him. And I had kind of threatened him right. <laughs> in that way. And it's not funny, but I know just looking back, like that's one reason why he probably didn't say these things. Could you help us understand what suicidal ideation is? So he, particularly with him, he thought and he thought about suicide on a regular basis. He never really acted upon it, but it was something that was when he had a stress response to something, um, that was the first thought that would pop into his mind. I'm just, I don't want to be here. I don't want, I'll just end it. This is the pain. Just, I don't want to be in the pain anymore. This would be the way to, to end what I'm feeling. Is that typical with, with suicidal ideation? I mean, with the I understanding think, that we're not, in, obviously this is not a medical diagnosis of any type, but just helping just to understand right. if somebody else can recognize that. Yeah, you know, it, it. a lot of the times, though, a lot of people that have ideation, they don't share it. 
you wouldn't even know. Um, and it's okay to ask. I think there's this stigmata or this misunderstanding that if you ask somebody if they're having thoughts of suicide, that they act upon it. That's not true at all. Um, sometimes they, they need you to recognize that, hey, she's not okay. He's not okay. And just, you know, be that sounding board. And if you need to bring a professional in, then bring the professional in. And I always say bring the professional because if you're not equipped to deal with someone who's having these thoughts of suicide, then bring, you know, get them, seek seek help or um, take them somewhere so where they can get it. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So this, this affected you for a long time, right? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, so the anniversary of his death, it'll be 20 years in November and no, December. Um, Ontario died in, in November and he died two weeks later. So um, our friend Ontario was murdered like a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And then Tyson killed himself a couple of weeks after that. So uh, around the holidays and stuff, it used to be really hard for me to, um, to celebrate because I felt this guilt. But one thing I really want to go into is right after Ontario, uh, Tyson killed himself, you know, I was young. And they were going to have a memorial service for him. And I wanted to be off, um, off of work. I was working at the time and my, my job would not allow me to be off. So I quit my job so I can be there because that's how important he was to me. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go to his funeral because his funeral was going to be um, out of out of state. Um, his mother and family resided in a different state than what we were in. So they were moving or transporting his his remains to there state. So I say right after that memorial service, I went into this deep depression and I was in this depression for six weeks or six months. But what I found was I would sit in this, I would sit in my room and I would just sit in the dark and just look out the window and just, I was beating myself up at the time, but I also felt like when I would sit in the dark, it was just complete and complete silence. I could feel his presence and his energy around me. And so it became this habit and I kind of, it was a, a way to, I guess, punish myself because I thought I was, you know, a horrible friend at that point. But it also kind of brought a sense of comfort because I did feel like he was there with me. And that that stayed with me for about six, six months. That's um, a long time. I understand why you carried that guilt with you. I've had two of my friends that did commit suicide. They were colleagues. One of them was my kids. God father so yeah. you know i went through the same thing that you went through so i empathize with you it's one of those things where you kind of go why didn't you call me and yeah. you think that you would because you're my kid's godfather you know plus they were they were on the job both of them one was a uh, police officer one was a firefighter mm -hmm. which you know we don't always recognize but the guilt um yeah the guilt is kind of a kind of a bad thing that when it shows up like that. So were you given any tools to help you through that? Did any of your family members recognize it? Because, well, your father was a firefighter. Did he recognize what you were going through? My mom did. And she was, you know, really concerned. And she just straight up said, uh, why are you thinking of killing yourself? Because the way that you're acting makes me think that you are, you know, at risk for this. And I said, no, I'm not thinking of killing myself. But I also didn't have the tools, I guess, and the communication skills at the time to tell her, hey, when I sit quietly and I'm sitting in the dark or whatever, I'm actually able to feel him. Uh, and so it makes me feel better. One, because um, 
people don't understand that, you know, like they don't get that people's energy can live on, you know. Um, and I know my mom and dad are are devout Christians, so they look at stuff like that as woo woo. Or my dad would say, "Well, that was that was just, that's just a familiar spirit. That wasn't him." Um, whatever it was, it, it made me feel better, even though I felt guilty. Mm-hmm. I felt like he. I still say it was he. He was there until I was able to be okay, you know. And, and it took a long time. But to say that the guilt went away, it didn't go away. I still felt that for a long time. And I still felt like there was words and things left unsaid. I I wanted to have a better understanding of where were you at to make you feel that this was the solution. He had a child on the way. He was he was uh, engaged to be married. So it's just like you cut your you, you snuffed your life out so permanently for what? So that led me to seeking out a medium. And it was really going to be between when I when I went to this medium, I, I knew it was either going to be him that came forward or um, a cousin of mine that I was really close to. But I was really hoping that Tyson would come forward and, and say something, you know, and, and reach what was out the time to time frame. It was it was just a couple of years ago because I was kind of like nervous about doing it. And I didn't, I'll just say, I, I don't know if I really had the belief that it was, was, you know, real, but in my mind, I'm, I open, like, I try to have an open mind about everything. And so, um, I felt comfortable with this particular medium and I went and, um, you know, he came, he did come forward and he just said, you know, you're holding on to, to guilt for nothing. Like it wasn't your fault. I made this choice. And I need you to check on my son. And I knew he had a, a child, but, you know, I had no contact or, or anything like that. But that kind of closed it off for me. It definitely helped me to come to terms with, OK, I've been holding on to something that I had no control over. Were you able to say um, what you wanted to say to him? I did. I was able to apologize and ask for forgiveness for if for not showing up the way that I felt like I should have for him after, you know, him losing his friend. Uh, and it was all from around uh, just not knowing how to communicate. And, you know, being 16 at the time, I didn't know. So if I can ask, I've had several mediums on the show, and they've actually have been able to contact the other side or pierce that veil, so to speak, in different methods. So the medium that you went to, you know, talk us through that. How did, how did that individual make contact? So she just was, she asked some questions and she came through or he came through because she said, well, it's the person with the T name and kind of explained in a very vague way how he died. Just, she's like, the, the death was unexpected. It wasn't, you know, whatever. So he came through that way. Um, it was, it was interesting to see. And I knew that there was no way that she would have been able to research any of it, because that's, you know, being I, I do have some level of skepticism, but I don't his death is not something that I, I talk about uh, or have talked about in a long time. And it has definitely hasn't been online. Usually if I bring it up as to close friends that knew us, you know, that we all knew from high school. Yeah, it's interesting. So, these people that I've spoken with they actually helped. Uh, two of them actually helped me to uh, get some closure with my father who passed away when I was 17 years old. And it was interesting the way they had both done it. So um, that's the methodology and you know, of how this person was able to get them to come through. I believe that we have an opportunity to, and that's the reason for the, the show, one more thing before you go, I believe that there is an opportunity that you know these individuals that leave us are there and can be in 
can be there for you when you want to say something or when you, you need to talk or when you want to say something you didn't get to say when they were living. So that's, yeah. that's important. Did that help you move on? It did. It, you know, I was able to let go a little bit of that, that guilt and I haven't felt so, I don't know, he, it, the thought, you know, to, to still hold that after 20 years was a big deal because um, I used to talk about it to my husband and to other people that knew him regularly. But once he kind of just said, what, what are you doing? Why are you holding on to this? You know, there's, it's gone. It's done with. I'm in a better place. And actually, I say this, I had two, um, I forgot about this one experience. I wasn't going for him. I was going for me. Um, And I forgot what this lady, she did energy work. And we were talking about like my past lives or my, uh, my lives in different dimensions or something. And she brought him up. It wasn't even, I wasn't there about him, but she told me that he was stuck in limbo and that he had uh, in past lives, he had committed suicide before and that he wasn't, he hadn't reincarnated yet here on earth, but that he, he was somebody that watched over me is what she told me. That's interesting. Um, I wonder if he brought the idealization forward with him. Yeah. I wonder, you know, that made me wonder because another thing that I learned about myself in that particular session was that I had a lifetime with my husband at one point. And she told me, she said, oh, you have a, a great husband. You you match well. And I was like, oh, OK, good. She's like, well, this is not the first pot- lifetime that you've um, been together. He actually sacrificed himself for you in another lifetime. And I was like, what? You know, this is, <laughs> this is some tricky stuff, you know, but it was it was really enlightening. Um, but what I took from working with her and doing that, that work with her was I walked out of her office and I felt like my uh, soul had been lifted. Like there just anything that may have been weighing me down. I just felt weightless. Hey, Michael Hurst here, your host and producer of One More Thing Before You Go. First and foremost, thank you very much for joining the conversation. I really appreciate you. Just a reminder, things are changing for the better with One More Thing Before You Go. We are expanding, we're evolving, and we're growing to stay more connected with you. We're launching our YouTube channel very soon, which will give you the opportunity to not only listen, but to see our guest. We have also launched our app to compliments of our sponsor, Superpass. You can find more information about Superpass on the website, onemorethingbeforeyougo.com. You will find our apps both in the App Store and on Google Play. Download them, register for a free account, and take one more thing before you go to listen, watch, read, and interact with us anywhere. We are happy to provide more opportunity for the One More Thing Before You Go community as well to stay connected. So going forward, we will be publishing one primary episode every Wednesday, just like normal, with great guests and fantastic conversations and insight. And then each Friday, we're going to mix it up a little bit with Friday Fun Facts, Friday Revisits, Friday Feel Good. Friday over the teacup opinion pieces. We can't wait to share more with you and to give you the opportunity to join the conversation. So if there's something that you want to talk about, drop me an email, michael at one more thing before you go.com. That's michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at one more thing before you go.com or go to before you go podcast.com. Click the little microphone, leave me a message. Looking forward to this new chapter in our journey together. So what are you waiting for? Join the conversation. And I was just so happy. And so I was like, well, hey, uh, this is amazing. And I'm somebody that's really big on energy, as I told you about being able to discern. And at one point, 
when I was younger, being able to see into the spiritual realm. Yeah. yeah well, you, you brought it, you brought that forward. So we have to talk about it. Oh yeah. So my family on my father's side has a history of doing this. And I just thought, well, it's not going to happen for me. You know, I don't, I don't want it to happen to me. You know, I don't want to see anything, but I remember being six years old. This was my first time ever seeing anything. I was six years old. It had just rained and I was over my grandmother's house. She used to watch me and my siblings a lot when my mother was, was working and my dad was working. And so I looked across the street and I seen three other worldly beings. They, they were shaped in a human form, but they were pure white, just pure white. And I thought and knew uh, that, oh, those are angels. Wow. So I was really excited to see them and I'm waving, you know, just excited. My grandmother was like, who are you waving at? And I said, the the three people, the, the, the people over there that you don't see the white people, they're white light. You don't see the white lights. And she was, it freaked her out. So she yeah. was like, get your crazy self over there and sit down. There's angels on and, the other side going, oh crap, she can see us. <laughs> yeah. And you know, but it, what I felt permeating to me was just pure love, pure everything. And to be able to remember that um, was a big thing for me. But what happened that day is I started to really believe that I was crazy. You know, like, oh, nobody else could see it. Just me. OK, well, I don't want to see it anymore. I'm going to turn that part of me off. And my grandmother meant nothing by it. You know, she right. just you, you're scared of what you don't understand. And so it wasn't that I was fearful of it. But I realized that I turned the muscle to be able to see off, but I could still, there's no way for me to turn off discerning of people's energies and different stuff like that. So my my younger brother also has had the gift of, of sight and seeing, um, and he would see people that passed on. And, um, you know, him being a police officer right now, we were talking about the time he was four years old. And he's seen my uh, my good friend's grandfather who passed away in his study. And he came running, came running up the stairs. Oh, my God, there's a man down there smoking, you know, and it, it scared him to death. But it came up because my niece now just had an experience a, a few weeks ago. And both of them were about the same age. And I told my brother, please don't turn that off. Don't make her afraid of it. You know, to me, it's it's a superpower. Don't turn that off. Well, it's a gift. Um, it is. It's a, it's a true gift. And I realize now it's manifested itself in me. I don't, I don't necessarily see anymore. Like I haven't seen any angels or, or demons, thank God. But when I meet people, I can tell instantly whether or not their energy is positive or negative. And it doesn't matter if they're presenting themselves as you know, enlightened people or ministers or whatever. If your energy's off, I can tell. Mm. And what I've had to really trust is my intuition about people and the discernment that I have. Because anytime that I've tried to shut that off and say, well, maybe I'm wrong, you know, everybody else seems to like this person. Something always comes to light that proves what I thought in the beginning. And so I've really learned to be mindful of people's energy, especially because I noticed, you know, there is a such thing as energy vampires. 
And sometimes people are unaware that they're that way, but sometimes they, they know. And I had an experience not even a month ago, it was about a month and a half ago. A friend of mine came to me and asked me if she thought this other lady who was um, an acquaintance of ours was sucking or uh, drawing the energy from us, our youthful energy. And I said, why in the world would you ask that? Wow. Yeah. And after she said that, I started noticing. I was like, yeah, she is. She There's definitely something off with her. And I, I knew that for a long time, but... And I, and I kept my distance, but sometimes it's not about that. You had to tell other people, you might want to be careful because you never know. And, and what we found was that she was um, practicing in the dark arts. She was a witch. So, you know, it, it's, I, was, I, think, I think it's interesting. People, especially children, I think we're all born with that gift of being able to see that here. But um, the adults around us, and when we're that young, the adults around us, especially way back when, kind of kind of push that down like you said get it turn it off because of something they said or something they did or you're just playing or i think it's where imaginary friends come from sometimes is, is because somebody has the ability to be able to see through that veil and and talk and see those spirits individuals that happen to come through i also think that um through several conversations we've had this podcast that you should trust your intuition because sometimes mm-hmm. that's the guardian angel talking in your ear. You know, you just oh, have to listen. Sure. Yeah. It's so you- definitely that way. And I realized too, is that to me, what I found is that people that are in the servicing are uh, in jobs of service, like nurses, police officers, firefighters, they tend to be more uh, empathic than most people. And so with that, you're, you're more open. And so you have to be really careful um, about what you accept in and what you, you know, kind of what you're putting out there. Yeah, I've had somebody tell me that because of my experience as a police officer for so long, that part of my my illness, I, I have severe rheumatoid arthritis. I was injured in line mm-hmm. of duty. I got developed rheumatoid arthritis after it, and rheumatoid put me in a wheelchair for four years, and I had to work my way out of that. But they said that's because you took all this energy and and you've held it in because we're taught, we're taught, you don't show emotion, you don't show this, you you know, you can't show fear, you suppress it, you push it down and you override and you move forward. And it's done in police officers, firefighters, paramedics, nurses, doctors, you you're, you can't walk up to somebody and say you've just lost somebody and, and it not, you, know, you, you, you can't go up crying and bawling saying, oh, I'm sorry, you just lost somebody. Cause you have to be strong for people. So that's yeah. an interesting perspective. Uh, you say, oh, you hold it in. I think it's a, it's a bad thing. It is because where is it going to go? And it, and it does manifest itself in, in illnesses. I'm a big believer in that, that if you don't deal with emotions and you don't process them, there's no way for them to go. And there's been so many scientific um, studies recently that that show that, that right. when you don't know how to get rid of those emotions. So one thing that I, um, I've learned is that you care, but you don't carry. You know, it's okay to care mm-hmm. for other people's loss and stuff. But if you carry it, you're you're doing a disservice to yourself. And so that kind of leads into a great, like the the reason why I focus so much on self-forgiveness, because what I end up doing is carrying on so much guilt and stuff. Some of it didn't belong to me. Right. And I, I have to kind of check myself sometimes. Is this my stuff or is this somebody else's? Because if it's not mine, then, you know, it needs to 
to get out of my space. But the, yeah. So do you think all these experiences gave you a better, a better, right? Um, a clearer understanding of life and death? I do. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to, you know, I know some people are scared of what's on the other side, but you know, we're all uh, energetic individuals having, you know, well, I say we're all spiritual beings having a, a physical experience and spirit does not die. You know, we don't, it never goes away. It's still going to be here in some form. And so I don't have this fear of dying. I don't know if I ever did. I used to, I know I used to make my mother upset about how kind of flippant I was about sacrificing myself or other people. Like, you know, I'll jump in front of, especially when it came to my younger siblings, I'll jump in front of a bullet for them. I'll do that. It used to really make her upset, but I'm like, why? It's just part of life. You're we're not going to be here all the time in the physical form. Right. Um, and so I think what I learned the most, especially with losing Tyson and feeling his presence and that energy for that long after he was gone was that there and then him coming back, you know, and saying, hey, let it go. I'm happy. I'm in a better place. I'm, you know, just you have to let that go because you're making yourself sick. And, and, and I was. I so say you got sick, right? In about the 2017 yeah, I, area? Mm-hmm, I did. I got sick and I couldn't understand why. Like they, there was never any diagnosis. It's still ongoing. There, there's no diagnosis for whatever it is that has been going. It's definitely dwindled down since I've been doing the inner work and letting go of some of those uh, emo- negative emotions around some of the, the traumas that I've been through. But the biggest thing was just being in constant pain. And, and here carrying that guilt around losing Tyson. And before that, it was guilt around not telling my parents about me being molested and my little sister having to suffer because of that, too. And so it was just a lot. I had a lot of negative emotions that I had to, to purge to get to where I'm at now. You know, is that at one point, what do you, I think you got involved in um, NLP. Can you, mm-hmm. can you help me understand, help us understand what NLP is? So NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. And it's really the, the best way for me to describe it. It's like the user mind and the lost user mind, uh, user manual uh, for the mind. So it teaches you how you process information, how, you, how your brain processes. Um, it teaches you how to model excellence and the different layers of the mind. And um, it's, it's really been life-changing for me to learn. I, I realized with learning it and some of the techniques that we use in it, that the identity that I had adopted from an early age was that of a victim. And I couldn't let go of that. I thought that I had. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things I had to learn was, oh, you're not a victim, you're a survivor. And now you need to forgive yourself for adopting that identity for so long. Is that part of the uh, NLP? Yeah, it was one of the techniques that I learned. Because with the with NLP, you're learning the seven layers of the, the unconscious mind. Identity is right up there at the top. So if you're able to step away from any identity that doesn't serve you, it just trickles down to the rest of the layers. And so that's where my big change came in. And um, I was able to start practicing that self-forgiveness I, I teach on and I got rid of that guilt. 
I know that you your self-improvement journey actually began in 2016, but you got sick in 2017. So had you started to learn the NLP practicing before that I or didn't. after? No. So when I first started my journey, I, I worked with my, my mentor and he kept telling me, Leah, if you don't let go of your mess, you're never going to have the success that you, you want. And I was so resistant because I was like, I am working on it. I'm showing up every day to your, you know, your talks. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing the um, mirror work. I'm talking to the little Leah to try to heal, you know, all that. And I was showing up. I, I did have some success with him. I, I actually had a lot of success, but I still couldn't let go of, of a lot of that stuff. I, I didn't know how to get rid of my mess. So it took me getting sick and just hitting rock bottom at the end of 2019. And I was scrolling on Facebook, like most of us do. And I came across this, this ad at the time. I didn't know it was for NLP. I had no idea what NLP was, but the, um, the workshop that I ended up going to was like an intro to NLP. So it was a three-day workshop and I showed up with, with a healthy dose of skepticism. Cause I was like, I don't know what this is, but Hey, I'm going to show up and see what what's what. And um, on the third day, they did this technique called the time techniques. And that changed the game for me. And it was basically it's a way for you to dissociate out of the memory that you may have uh, where there's all this pain and trauma and um, process it, you know, process. Okay, so that's the first instance that I had anger. And that's the first instance that I had sadness and I can let this go. And um, I let it go. And I stopped waking up with that daily feeling of pain that I had for decades because I just couldn't, didn't know, couldn't let it go. And it didn't matter. I was like, you know, some people, you, well, you could have got rid of that with prayer. I, you don't think I prayed? You know, you don't think I tried all these things? I did. But yeah. you also have to open up your mind modalities. So... How does that differ from regular therapy? Oh God! So I was I was a, a therapy junkie. You know, I went to talk therapy for forever, and I never got any relief. You know, that's what I was expecting, I guess, to get. So it differs majorly because with uh, therapy, especially talk therapy, you're going in and you're just talking about it on a conscious level. But most of the trauma and the pain that you have is on an unconscious level that you may not even be aware of. And so with using NLP, you get to that unconscious stuff that you you don't know where your mess really resides. So you're able to get down in there. Um, and so that's the big distinction for me. And, you know, like I said, it was a game changer just to learn. And so I went down the rabbit hole that weekend. Moving forward ever since, you spe you chose to specialize in self-forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, specifically because um, for me, I realized from that day, I just kept hearing your freedom will only come in self-forgiveness. Um, and that was just a resounding like mantra in my head. And I realized finally, you know, one thing, and, and I don't want to trigger anyone, so I just give this little disclaimer is that when you are a survivor of childhood sexual molestation or uh, sexual assault or anything like that, you you lose a, a piece of yourself. And a lot of the times you don't know how to get it back and you feel powerless. And there's all these negative emotions that go with all that, you know, the feeling the need to 
to have control all the all the time. I was I said I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I realized that all of that stuff stemmed from me being molested and letting go of that and learning to forgive myself for staying in that place um, and adopting that identity that I was a, a victim was what I need to for, needed to forgive. I didn't need to take responsibility for anything that happened to me. It was the responsibility for how I allowed it to affect my life. It's kind of more of a forgiveness of your of yourself because it's yes. not really forgiving the person for committing the act. No, nope. And that is huge because you know, growing up, you're taught to forgive everybody else. You're never taught to forgive you. No one ever says forgive yourself. No one but, ever tells you that. Especially if you grow up in a religious background, any kind of a religious yeah. background, they tell you forgiveness, forgive, forgive, forgive. But it's very difficult yeah. to forgive when you exactly, and it's difficult to it's difficult to forgive the other person for something that happened to you. I mean, this is in, in all situations. It, if somebody asked me to forgive somebody for something they've done to me, and it's very difficult to forgive somebody that they did to me as a child. So I think it would be hard to kind of work towards forgiving yourself. But there's processing. Obviously, the process is you help them through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's where there's been, I guess, the big transformation for people's realizing that. And uh, starting my podcast, I... I didn't think about the fact that my my parents would listen. You know, like I I didn't necessarily make it for for my parents, but my mom told me the other day I had no idea the level and how long uh, you were molested, and it 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 triggered her so bad. And I was like, I'm sorry, you know, I should have gave you that disclaimer that I talk about this openly. This is not something that I brush under the rug. It was part of my life for so many decades, so. Um, Sometimes, yeah. You know, obviously, think our parents. I, I mean, I don't know how old you are, what in what age range you are, and and that doesn't need to be discussed. But I know that in certain eras, there were things that just weren't talked about, unfortunately, and the communication was not opened up to allow that to come through. And I learned that as a domestic violence investigator. I was on a domestic violence task force, a multi-agency one, and we took care of the worst of the worst. Not, not that any domestic violence is not good, but we took we took the cases that were like the really, really bad cases that involved different levels of domestic violence and emotional and physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, the whole range. And in reality, the majority of people that I ever dealt with, because I've retired from a long time ago, actually, I've been retired for 20 years now, but, and I was almost 17 years on the job. It It's unfortunate that communication channels get closed, and they say, you can't talk about that, that you're not supposed to talk about that. You need to keep that in the family. You need to keep that between you and I. And, and the, the communication needs to open, because in that particular instance, it scars somebody for life. Even if you forgive yourself, there are still those scars there that remain. How can we help somebody who's potentially thinking of suicide? Thinking of the scars, because um, you carried that get with you for a really long time. So, how can we recognize or help somebody? So, some of the signs that you need to watch out for is: Are they giving things away? Are they blatantly just saying really morbid things like, "Well, I, you know, nobody will miss me if I'm gone" and stuff like that? Those are signs that are obvious. But then you have people who don't say anything at all. And so sometimes, you know, it's kind of hard, but you can you can tell 
uh, for me, like I, I had someone really close to me, his whole personality changed. He went from being someone who was very open and happy and smiling all the time to being very closed off. So just being really aware of your people and their, you know, their personalities. And if you see such a, if you see a really major shift like that in somebody's personality, that's a, a, an indicator that you you probably should be having a conversation. Also, don't be afraid to have a conversation. If you don't feel comfortable there, they have plenty of classes. They have a mental health first aid class you can take after a mental health first Aider you can take. There's so many different ways to really learn if this is something you want to know so you can uh, recognize these signs. But most importantly is be aware of your uh, suicide, suicide prevention hotline uh, numbers. And if you're not aware, that's fine. Call the um, police non-emergency line. Um, those are all ways that you can do and show up for people. They may you know, be mad at you, but you you save their life ultimately. Better to be angry. That can always yeah. be worked out later. They, exactly. They can angry. Can always be worked out later. What inspires you? Um to help people. Being being of service is a big like pillar for me. But seeing other people be able to heal and not suffer like, you know, like I did uh, is inspiring for me. Uh, and it lets me know that I'm doing work that matters. So that's that's my inspiration. Just I want people to to be able to heal and transform their lives because it's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Are you currently? I know you got the podcast, but are you currently practicing as an NLP coach and success coach? I am. I am. How does somebody um, reach you? So you can find me on social media, uh, and my website is superiorthinker.com. Um, and then, of course, on social media, uh, on Facebook, particularly, I'm Leah McIntosh. And those are the ways you can get in contact with me if you want to work with me one on one. And I'll have those in the show notes and everything for everybody um, just to, to kind of make sure that they can connect with you from that perspective. Let's talk about your podcast before we leave. So okay. you started a podcast and how long have you been podcasting? You know, what? I'm I'm fresh and I'm new. I have um, I launched my podcast May 27th. So I have five episodes out there, but I have tons recorded, just ready to to be released. Um, and it's called It Might Be You. And people come on and share their It Might Be Me moments where they knew they needed to change their life uh, and what they were currently doing because it just wasn't serving them. And they 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 knew it was time for a change. And so yeah, it's it's been fun to to hear other people's stories and and learn that there's no one size fits all to to healing and transforming your life. You can do it several different ways, whether that's you believe in God or use a different modality to do it. It's fine. You're you're all on the same path. You just weave and bob, but ultimately you get to the same destination. Speaking of that, real, I should have asked you this earlier. Have has all this changed your your life from a spiritual perspective? Oh my goodness, yeah, it definitely has. I um. I feel like I'm more in tune and I'm, I'm a believer in God. You know, I, I was raised in a Christian household. So I do feel like when I ask questions or if I sit quietly, I, I, I meditate and I also journal that I get answers. Sometimes it's not the answer I want, <laughs> right. but um, 
but I still get the answer. So yeah, spiritually, and I say this, I'm more spiritual than I am religious. So, um, you know, I like to be able to, what I do, I respect everyone's model of the world, whether or not you're a Christian or not, that doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I want to hear and learn. So it's a positive thing. This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom? you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, trust your intuition. If you are someone who are have empath capabilities, which we all do, practice that muscle. Practice using the muscle. You know, you can tell if you feel off about somebody, trust that. that that's your intuition telling you, hey, this person's energy is not good. That is a big thing for me right now is teaching that, that trust your gut at all times. It's it's right most of the time. It's a positive thing. Good words of wisdom, actually. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, sharing your journey, especially this difficult journey that you've come to and what you do for the world in regard to giving back, both from your nursing and your NLP practice, your coaching and your podcast. I will have everything in the show notes for individuals that are seeking you out to help find you. And again, thank you very much. Thank you. This was really uh fun. It was a fun to come on and, and talk, even though it was kind of a heavy topic, but it was still a great experience. So thank right. you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.